it's a good thing because it, it reminds us to be humble. Um, and, and yeah, it's, 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 uh, um, still got us, got us glorified, uh, when we gather together and worship Him, right? Um, even when the projector doesn't work. <laughs> Let's, uh, pray in preparation for the message. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you be with us today. I pray that you would, um, just bless our, our time together. And as I share the word this morning, I pray that you would, um, um, help me to focus on you and on your will and on your heart, Lord. Help me to be faithful to the to the scriptures. Help me to be faithful to to um, what you intended in them. Um, and I pray that you be with the folks who are here. Just touch their hearts that that they would hear from you and know you more, Lord. If if there are issues they're they're struggling with, I pray, Lord, that your your wisdom would come to them through the, through your word. Um, just create in us clean hearts and new hearts through through knowing you more. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are uh, going to be in the book of Psalms. Some of you guys are sitting there thinking Eric made a mistake because we should still be in John. Um, but we are uh, actually going to be starting Judges next week. The summer is here, and I've decided that, that I will preach the Old Testament during the summer and the New Testament during the year, and that spreads me out nice and evenly, right? Um, and so we'll be going through the book of Judges. In the coming, well, starting next weekend, we'll do Judges 1. And I'm going to have study guides. Um, last summer and, and some in the previous year, I printed up guides for you to take home where you could read the passage and, like, some of the language and a- answer some questions and it would help you focus on the passage, like, in advance. Um, this year, instead of printing out 300 copies, um, I'm going to order copies of the books. Um, and so if anybody is interested in getting a copy of the book in advance um, so that you have a study guide... Like, raise your hand real quick. Oh, I thought that was Abby. One, two. Hey, Rebecca, can you count for me? <laughs> All right, raise them up high so Rebecca can count. Um, so, and, and uh, I will, I've got it narrowed down to two options, and uh, probably judges will go for the next two summers. And so uh, it is a fun book, lots of war and 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 wisdom and and stuff. It is a very exciting. It'll be a load of fun. I'm very excited about preaching it. Um, this week, oh, I thought my slide was already up. I am in Psalms this week. Um, um, I decided uh, we're gonna we're gonna do Psalm one in the interlude between breaking away from John and starting in on um, Judges. Uh, but I, I so Psalm one here, and I I, I before I dive into it, I want to talk about something. Um, how many of y'all are farmers? There are at least a few of you, right? Like, and so this is a great one because it, it, it speaks to farming metaphors really well. Um, in, the, in the back quarter behind the Durga house, there is a grove of trees, right? There are choke cherries. What are they? All right, various. And, and those trees, um, they've been there for a few years. Is that right? Uh, 10, 20, 50, 60. Those trees ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Does that sound about right? Um, if you go out in my yard, I have dandelions. Like some people grow wheat, some people grow safflower, some people grow peas. I grow dandelions. And those dandelions will be gone by winter, Right? 
They will die, and at some point in time next year, new dandelions will come to life. But they will not be the same dandelions I have this year. Does that sound about right? That's kind of the nature of weeds. Weeds come and they go, right? And they, they live for a very short amount of time and they disappear. But the trees, on the other hand, they have a tendency to hang on, right? When it gets really windy out, um, and you all are aware that sometimes the wind blows hard in Montana, right? Um, and when we have those 30-mile-an-hour, 40-mile-an-hour windy days, um, what? Yeah, you're planting the neighbor's yard with your dandelions. But um, weather like that can kill plants. Isn't it true? Um, I, I was once in Napanee, Indiana, and there was a giant tornado that touched down in a guy's cornfield. And we were out picking corn from the, the remains, basically. And you could see where the tornado had cut and turned because it just cut a swath. It was like somebody drove a combine right through and it laid all that corn down. And it was all dead and it was all worthless at that point, right? Like they picked up a whole bunch of it and donated it to um, some relief fund or whatever. But, but for the most part, it was all, it was all gone, just, just wasted. Because the wind came through really hard. And, and I know this is Montana, so we don't have corn. Um, but corn stalks aren't that thick, right? If you hit a corn stalk with a car, which I may have done once or twice while living in Indiana, um, they jump out in front of you. Um, the corn stalk goes, right? The car just goes right over it. You hit a Russian olive tree with a car, and it's a bit more of a contest, right? Um, one of the major differences, like you have a much thicker plant, and you've got roots. Isn't it right? And the roots help things hold on. They help them, like, not get dragged away in the strong wind. Um, and actually, when it gets really dry, those roots help because where's the water at? way underground, and those roots can reach all the way down and grab the water. Whereas my dandelions, if it gets dry enough, they'll die, right? And so, like, as we dive into this, this Psalm 1, understand, like, one of the major themes in this is, is about roots and about longevity, okay? Um, a little background, the Psalms are songs, right? They're generally, like, paired up with what's called the wisdom literature, that Psalms, Proverbs, Job, um, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, etc. Like these are the books that are um, according to like a, a specific genre of literature for for the Hebrews. Like if you sit down and you read a novel, you expect something different out of a novel than you would maybe a history book, right? Or um, a book on how to do math, right? Like these are different genres of books. Um, wisdom literature is um, material that's often poetic. Right? It's very formal, meaning it, it follows specific forms, and it tells us something about how God operates in the world, and it applies that knowledge to everyday stuff. Right? It's hard to read sometimes, because you'll read wisdom literature, and you'll say, like, you know, it'll say something like, you know, hey, the, the good man and the wise man is prosperous and does well, but the wicked man gets destroyed. And you look around, and there are wicked people in the world who make money and do well, Right? And sometimes you say, well, that's not really fair. There are lazy people that make a lot of money. Isn't it true? The wisdom literature will tell us, though, that like lazy people, they, they come to ruin, and whereas like hardworking people, you know, they prosper. Well, that's not always true because like a general principle will sometimes find exceptions. Does that make sense? 
And so as we look at wisdom literature, understand these are ideal conditions about how the world should work. Um, when you get to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum where it says, hey, no matter how hard you work, you'll die and, you know, everything will go away. You know, you build a city, eventually it'll turn to dust. Very happy book. Um, but, but so like just, just heads up, this is how wisdom literature works. Um, Psalm 1 is a song, but it presents sort of the entryway to all wisdom literature because it is very much like the Proverbs. And I'll explain as we go through. Um, this is in a Hebrew poetic form called uh, chiastic structure, meaning like one line relates to the line opposite it at the other end. Does that make sense? And then the next line relates to the line opposite it at the other end of the poem. Um, in this case, lines one and two relate to line five. Line three relates to line four. And so it's just like a pyramid. And I'll explain that as we go. It's just counterparts. Um, the other thing is, in wisdom literature, they present the idea of the two roads. This is the last bit of background, and we'll dive right into the text. Um, Jesus may be the most common teaching. Jesus says there are two ways, the wide way and the narrow way, right? One is the way to salvation, and the other is the way to destruction. We all remember that, right? Um, guess what? The, the two ways is very easy to remember. It's part of the reason they used it. But it's also very much like this, this um, set against this dichotomy is the word for it um, in the scriptures. There is the kingdom of heaven, and then there's the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of the world, right? There's the natural way of man, which is sinful and fallen, or the supernatural where God fixes those things. And you see a lot of that, and that plays into what we're looking at. All of that background, we dive into Psalm 1. Um, it's six verses. Let's see if I can do it in two hours. <laughs> um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, blessed in this um, phrasing means happy, right? Um, like like the, the right way to translate it would be happy. So the guy who doesn't uh, stand or, excuse me, walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, he's a happy guy. Um, and what the poet here has done is he's given us a progression, right? And there's that dichotomy right off. There's the good guy and the bad guy, right? The good way and the bad way. And so you have like, like walk, stand, sit. And the way this works in Hebrew literature, right? Um, and maybe, like, all right, off the record here, candidly, right? Um, how many of y'all sometimes do the wrong thing? How many of y'all just lied <laughs> by not raising your hand? Um, to walk means to sometimes stray into it, right? Um, I, used to, um, I used to walk home from school when I was in, in junior high, and uh, there, was, there was a length of property that obviously belonged to someone. It had big no trespassing signs, but if you cut across it, it saved you about 20 minutes, right? And so what did I do? I'd cut across it, right? Sometimes, sometimes I wouldn't. Um, every once in a while, we stray into no trespassing areas. And the psalmist starts out, he says, hey, you are blessed if you don't wander into the way of the wicked, right? Like if you don't wander into the counsel of the wicked, meaning the advice. Because the world will tell you, oh, don't worry about that. Do what you want. Isn't it true? You know, well, you know, if your wife never finds out, it's okay. Right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Maybe that's the way it... 
Um, I don't know what that means. I'm sure someone will explain it to me later. Um, <laughs> but, but he says, listen, anybody who doesn't wander into this awful advice the world gives us is happy. Well, you know, examples of that, um, it's not really stealing if you're stealing from a large corporation, right? Isn't it true? Or we're told that sometimes, aren't we? But it's not true. It's actually, like, really not true. It's still stealing. Um, if, if nobody sees me do it, it's not wrong. If, you know, all of these bits of advice the world gives us, if it feels good, it's the right thing to do. Isn't it true? The world says this. And people wander into this. Now, wandering into it is the first step on the way to staying there, right? And that's the next one, stands in the way of sinners, meaning I've gone from occasionally wandering into sin to hanging out here. Um, and, and maybe some of y'all can relate to this. You, you develop a, you know, I'm going to do this every once in a while, and before you know it, it's the norm, right? <laughs> I think I'm going to do this every day because it's working. Um, you see it a lot with, uh, there's, is, in, in addiction treatment, you see it with alcoholism. It's that progression that happens, right? Where people like, I drink occasionally, I'm a social drinker. And then for whatever reason, they go from being a social drinker to a all-the-time drinker, right? Um, you see it with uh, guys who, you know, start developing a, a habit of looking at pornography. Where like, you know, I look at just this as I'm going by and now I'm visiting, right? And now I'm visiting every day. Like, and so the progression here is happier people who go, like who avoid wandering in, and happier people who don't hang out there. Because hanging out in the way of sinners, like that becomes a problem, because it eventually leads to sitting in the seat of scoffers. Um, the sitting means you've taken up residence, right? I mean, I'm going to sit down if I'm planning on staying. I'm going to sit down if I'm planning on spending my time there. I'm going to... You know, I, I visit folks, and sometimes you can visit for a minute, and sometimes you, you, you plan on visiting for a while. You know, once I sit down at the kitchen table, you're not getting rid of me that fast. Got that? <laughs> so if I come by to visit, don't invite me to sit down, or I'm not leaving. Um, <laughs> the, the, the sitting, sometimes this is associated with, like, like um, when Jewish teachers would sit, it meant what you're going to hear from me is a big deal, right? Like, this is important. Judges sat. Like, you would sit in the city gate. And that's how judging would work, court would work. Like, the leaders of the community, the righteous men would sit. Well, this is sort of the antithesis of that. You are happy if you avoid wandering in occasionally, hanging out there and making a home in the way of sinners, in the way of, like, the wicked. And the wicked will tell you, this is the way to be. This is easiest. This is fun. This is the best way to do it. Um, but once it becomes a habit, you get in trouble. Um, and it brings you misery. Uh, moving on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and, day and night. Um, so the guy who is avoiding those things spends his time looking at what God has for us, looking at God's teachings, meditating on it, reading it, praying about it, thinking about it. That's something I, uh, I, I have, sometimes have guys do. I'll, I'll, you know, write the scripture verse on your hand and look at it. And then later on in the day, look at it again. And then later on in the day, look at it again. Because the more you look at it, the more you read it, and the more you focus on it, the more it becomes part of who you are, Right? 
And I'll, I'll give you an example of this sort of in the negative. Um, has anybody ever worked in a factory or around a large group of men who are just men working together every day? Um, I worked in a factory for a while in college, and it was just guys, right, these blue-collar men, and, you know, I stuck out like a sore thumb. It was awful. Um, but, but most of those guys used, used a funny language that I don't speak, mostly in short words. Um, and the weirdest thing that was, like the longer I was around it and the longer I heard it, what happened? The more it became a part of how I talked, right? Um, because it's just true. I mean, if you're around folks who, who swear a lot, like some, it's really easy to start swearing with them, right? Um, or, or cussing or cursing, I don't know. Um, if you focus on the word, if you put it in your heart, if you fill yourself up with it, it becomes a part of you. It changes who you are in bits and pieces. It's why, like, the Bible talks about this idea of meditating on the Word, sitting in it, focusing on it, marinating in it, because as you marinate in it, it soaks through your skin and it becomes a part of you. It changes your heart. Everybody with me? Now, there's another end of this. In the Old Testament, it's focusing on the law, paying attention to the Word and everything else. Last week, we were looking at John 5, and I did work it in, (laughs) because we can't just quite leave John behind. Um, John, we, we were looking at Jesus yelling at the Pharisees, basically, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What, what Jesus is saying here is, the whole Old Testament is about him, Right? Everything you read in the law is about Jesus. When you read those stories and people say things like, hey, you know, David and Goliath, right? Everybody knows this story. David goes out, he throws a rock at the giant, like, warrior guy, Goliath, and kills him in one shot. And, like, sometimes you'll hear people preach that story and they'll say, what's the Goliath in your life? What's the big bad thing you need to face and be brave about? Actually, it's not what that story is about. Like, if we translate it to the whole Bible is about Jesus. The story of David and Goliath is the story of us hiding in the camp afraid of the bad guy. Jesus showing up and slaying death. Slaying sin on our behalf. Jesus saves us by going to bat for us and like and like rescuing us. Dying for our sins and defeating death. Like all of the Old Testament is about him. And when we read the Old Testament and we'll see this all through Judges we're going to learn things about Christ. We're going to learn things about Jesus. And so when John, John says this, um, if we apply that back to our psalm, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Are you meditating on rules to follow? Are you meditating on Jesus? Because that stuff is about Jesus. Like the more we sit and read the Old Testament, we memorize psalms, we sing psalms in church, we do that because those psalms are about Jesus. They're all about Jesus. And the more we know the Old Testament, the more we know the Scriptures, the more we know Jesus. And so as we look at don't walk, don't stand, don't sit, the opposite of that is walk, stand, and sit in Jesus. Know Jesus more. Follow him closer. Stand tighter with him. Develop a more intimate relationship with him. Change your behavior to match his teachings, which is sort of part of it, right? Um, James talks about that. I love James. It's my favorite book in the Bible. He says, listen, if you look in the mirror and forget what you look like, that's dumb, right? So why would you look at the scriptures and forget that you need to adjust to match them? 
You know, it's like looking in the mirror and forgetting. So when I read Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself, like, bless those who curse you, if I start saying, well, you know, that's really great, I believe in that, and then the next minute I'm yelling at the neighbor because he ticks me off real bad, or my wife, or my kids, or whatever else, because I'm sinful and not perfect, um, then I fail to follow it. I've looked at the word, and I fail to implement it. And so, like, part of what John is talking about is, or the psalmist is talking about here is, walk in the scriptures, stand in them, and then make your residence there. Make it into the habit of your life to live in Jesus, to, to marinate it, to soak in it. Um, so we go on, and here's where we start. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in, se- in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Um, so the man who is righteous, the man who is happy because he's in the Lord, he's like a tree planted by the river. Um, the Durgas, I'm going to pick on them again. They have a field. They have a field that's, that's by the river, right? All around the outside edges of that field, there are trees. And I think the only places there aren't trees are places they've been cut down, right? Those trees, I mean, by the river in Montana, you can't find a tree anywhere around here. The national or the state tree of Montana is the telephone pole. Actually, it's the fence post. There are more fence posts than there are people. Um, that is true. Um, <laughs> And so, like, but, but you go by the river, and there are trees. Why are there trees by the river? There's water there, right? It's not about the wind. It's not about any of that other stuff. There is water by the river, so the trees live there. The word here used for water actually refers to, like, a cut irrigation point or a canal. Because what they would do, and actually, if you go into Egypt, and these guys would have remembered Egypt pretty well, because this was written, you know, just a few hundred years after they left a long slavery in Egypt, um, there was a point in time in Egypt's history where the Nile River off of it were channels, and you could not go anywhere because the whole country was covered in channels to grow plants. And so there were all of these irrigation points, and they would water everything off of the Nile River. It's the reason why Egypt was not a giant desert at the time, because it is a giant desert now. But at the time, they had trees, and they had crops, and everything else. It was like enormously rich because they had great agriculture, because they had these irrigation points. So he is like a righteous man is like a tree planted by an irrigation point. Water comes to him, and he constantly or yields fruit when it's time to yield fruit. We've been going through John. One of the recurring themes of John is that Jesus is living water, right? Um, he says to the Samaritan woman, come to me, anyone who's thirsty, and I'll, give you, and I'll give you something to drink. And if you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. If we abide in Christ, if we're walking sitting, or standing and sitting in Jesus, if we're soaking in that, um, the water is always there. The water is always there to drink up and to consume and to fill up. And there's this crazy thing that happens. When the wind comes, a good tree doesn't blow over. In my front yard, I bought two gorgeous bushes. They're lilac bushes, right? And and lilacs are my favorite flowers. And they are sitting in pots in front of my house, right? Because I'm entirely too lazy. I'd say busy, but my wife would laugh. I'm too lazy. I haven't planted them yet. But they're sitting in, in these pots out in front of the house. And the problem with having these things in pots is what happens? They dry out and they fall. <laughs> you know, a windy day, I come outside and they've fallen over and rolled across the yard, right? 
But once I put them in the ground, what's going to happen? The roots are going to spread out, and they're going to find water. They're not going to dry out, and they're not going to blow away. The advantage of marinating in Christ, the advantage of living in him is when you hit the windy spots in life or the dry spots in life, you got something that's going to hold you firm, and you're constantly supplied with water. Um, I watch folks struggle with difficulty all the time. It's what I do for, for, for my job, right? Um, I deal with people when life is hardest. And I will see folks, um, like Carly, I'm going to pick on Carly, um, who in the hardest seasons of life um, stand strong trusting in Jesus, right? She's holding her little miracle in her hand, right? And, and even when it looked like things were going to go as bad as they could go, she sang songs about, about trusting God, right? Because that's deep roots, isn't it? That's finding water when the world is dry. Um, because the more we lean on Jesus, we don't wither when it's dry. We don't fall over when it's windy. We don't crumble. And fruit comes off us naturally. When we walk in it, when we live in it, when that's who we are, it changes us to the core um, we go on. Now, here's the opposite. So we had the righteous, the righteous, and now we're going to get a planting metaphor about the wicked, right? And what do we get about the wicked? The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, I had no idea how a combine worked until 35 separate times people walked me through them and said, this is the part that cuts, this is the part that uh, threshes, that's a word, Right? Um, this is, but basically, like the rough, what it happens is it cuts the plants down, it sort of grinds them up a little bit, but not enough to make flour, and then it shakes it, and that shaking in the wind takes the chaff, and what does the chaff do? Blows it away, right? And so the wicked are like chaff. Now, chaff is the opposite of a tree, right? The tree is rooted, the tree is alive. Chaff is dead, and chaff goes away really fast. Right, the I, I've had the blessing to hang out with folks while they were while they were driving those machines, and and I'm super allergic to mold that grows on wheat, and so if I stand downwind of a of a of a machine that is threshing, I, I get really sick. Right, like because that stuff it's gone, man. It spreads out. It you couldn't if you if you combine a field, you could never gather the chaff back up, could you? It's gone. And that's the way it is with the wicked. When hard times hit, instead of reaching down deep for, for Jesus, they, they get blown away because they got nothing to hold on to. They get crushed because they got nothing to hold on to. Um, Paul actually says something similar. He says, listen, folks, when, when our brothers and sisters in Christ die, we don't mourn like, like the unbelievers because they got no hope. You die, you're gone like the chaff. We mourn like people who have hope because we know, we know that our roots will survive anything. We know that the water that we drink makes us live forever. And so we know that in eternity we'll be with Jesus. Like there will be a resurrection, we'll come back into God's presence and we'll dwell with him. We know that when we face difficulty, we have something to lean on. We know that we have strength that exceeds us because of Christ. Um, it's uh, another line from James that I want to toss out there. Uh, James tells us, um, rejoice when you face trials of every kind. Anybody ever really happy when your life is horrible? The IRS sticks you with a big bill. 
<laughs> you, you find a new ache or pain. I, I played baseball with kids on Thursday, and I'm still limping a little. You know, like, I don't remember that happening 10 years ago. You know, a guy in his 30s shouldn't be that rough. <laughs> My wife. I said that just so she could pick on me later. Um, but as, as you get older, you, you start to creak and everything else. You say, oh, man, getting old is awful. But James would say, hey, as you start to creak, as you get sick, as you lose people, as life is hard, rejoice. Because it forces you to lean on God, right? It develop, you develop perseverance because your roots have to go deeper. Because you develop strength leaning on Jesus against the wind. Um, but it's not the way for the wicked because they're stuck. they got nothing to lean on. Um, they blow away in the long run. There's nothing to save them. Um, it's an awful way to be. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, we started with don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. And we get the opposite here. The wicked will never get to stand with the righteous before God. Like So there will be a day when we'll all stand before God, this eternal like promise we have, right? The wicked don't get that. They don't get to stand in the presence of God. They don't get to stand in the congregation for eternity like praising God. Like they don't get that. It's something they sacrifice because they will not walk, stand, or sit in the way of the righteous. And that's done by marinating in the scriptures and knowing Jesus better. You soak in it. You know him better. Your roots go down and you become something that lasts for decades. Like the olive trees at the Durgis house. They'll be there after I'm gone. Because they have, they have roots. And we have roots if we're in Christ. Um, last line here. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is the summary. God looks at you and he knows your ways because they're his ways if you're righteous, right? Righteous means you come into harmony with God's way of doing things. And so he knows who we are because we belong to him. He knows who we are because we are his children, his sheep. Um, in the same way, like, my wife, for some reason, she can read our children's minds. Right? Has anybody watched this? Any of y'all who have children, you can almost know what your kids are about to do because you know them that well. You know what they're going to say. You know how they're going to respond. You know the perfect gift to get them because you know them. Because they're yours. If we belong to Jesus, if we marinate in this, if we walk in it, if we just come into his presence in this way... Um, he knows us, and he's never going to lose us. He'll draw us back in when the time comes. Um, but the way of the wicked will perish. They're just like the chaff. They blow away when, when hardship hits. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up here with a challenge, um, and this is, this is a big one, right? Um, where are your roots at? When you have a bad day, is the first place you go the TV and, and the, the bottle of beer in the front of the fridge? Right? Um, is the first place you go yelling and hollering and frustrated and angry at everyone around you and making everyone you know miserable? Um, is the first place you go hiding? Because I did that for years. I would get upset, I'd have a bad day, and I'd hide out in the garage for the rest of the evening, right? Or in front of the Internet or playing Xbox or whatever. You know, I, I would just, I just need to escape all this. Um, but I'm not putting roots down then, am I? I'm not drawing living water. Um, and I get stressed out and I, I, I drink too much or eat too much or, 
or look at dirty pictures or, or whatever. Like if I'm finding my hope and my peace and my comfort in something that's of the world, it's going to blow away. Where do you find your comfort? Are your roots in Jesus? Like are you getting living water that's sustaining you in hardship? Or is it coming from somewhere else? When you have bad days, do you rejoice and say, I get to know Jesus' sufferings a little better? Isn't that the weird thing? My closest friends are people that I've met and we've gone through hardship together and I can say, hey, that guy, we did this together, right? Um, My wife and I, when we sit down and we've had a bad day and we're arguing, a lot of times we come back to the things we've enjoyed together and the things we've gone through together. and We can say, you know what? This is a bump in the road. We've got this together, right? Can you do that with Jesus? Jesus and I walked through this together. Where's your roots? We're going to finish up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to, we're going to go out and enjoy our weekend, right? Um, but we're going to do it growing. We're going to do it marinating. We're doing it um, as a family of God with deep roots together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you'd help us to, and this week and, and in our lives, Lord, help us to develop just just deep roots that break down into the soil and find, find the living water that you have for us. And Lord, for those of us who are facing trial and struggle and, and strong winds and, and just a dry season, Lord, that, that you would give them comfort in you. That they wouldn't flee to things that, that wreck them spiritually, but that they would, they would flee to you. You are a refuge in our strength, Lord. You're the rock, the foundation that we live on. Help us to Help us to not be chaff in this world. Help us to be, help us to be strong and, and just close to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.